You're listening to The Agile CTO, a podcast geared toward technology professionals, disruptors, and thought leaders. This show will aim to cover industry trends, new technologies, the life of a CTO, building dev culture, stories from some of today's leading CTOs, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Agile CTO podcast. Today, we have a guest hailing from the UK. His name is Tom Watson, and he is a founder and the former CTO of a, I guess, not startup anymore, but they're doing quite well, a company called Hubble, who aim to provide office space, kind of think of the, it was described as a WeWork meets uh, bookings.com. Very humble guy, very laid back, who happens to also be on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. I feel like we're collecting guests who, who fit that criteria at this point. Guy, yeah, what do you have to say about Tom? Not much else other than what you've covered already, Harley, but he's a really impressive guy. As you said, his demeanor is really chilled. He's such a relaxed guy, considering the, the pressures that he must have been under starting a company like Hubble, currently a mentor for other founding CTOs and building these individuals up. It's really impressive to to have him have had him on the show. And yeah, currently, as you mentioned, Hubble, very successful company. They went through Series A, they went through seed round, obviously, and they've more recently just covered another round of investment of about 2.3 million euros, which is really incredible. So I think let's get right into the episode. Perfect. So our guest today is Tom Watson. We've already told you that. Before I hand over to Tom, I just want to say that this is our second Forbes 30 under 30 person we've had. So this at this point, I'm kind of getting the itch to be like, you know, Ash Ketchum from Pokemon and just try and collect them all. We've got one from Africa. We've got one from the UK. You know, we're going to the different regions. But yes, Tom Watson. Tom, please introduce yourself. You've done a lot. Uh, I, won't, I won't butcher that. You can tell everyone what you've been doing and, and where you're at right now, please. Cool. Yeah. Hi, guys. So, uh, yes, I'm Tom. I co-founded a company called Hubble, where I was uh, CTO for the last seven years. Um, Hubble is a hybrid workplace platform where companies can find an office, book day passes um, across co-working spaces globally and get home working perks for their team. I started it straight out of university with my co-founder, Tushar, and have done everything from building the initial platform to growing the team to 50 people leading the product design and engineering side of the business. And then most recently I've left the business as I kind of felt it was a time for a change after seven years and I was struggling a little bit emotionally and after like the ups and downs and all of that, I felt like, yeah, now's a good time to kind of move on. And so now I'm doing a bit of mentoring, a bit of tech consulting and just trying to figure out what I want to build next, essentially. Wow. It's really interesting, Tom. So starting Hubble, was the 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 current state of the business the intention from the beginning to sort of get a, a series a seed round because i know we we've you guys got that in 2019 right you got a pretty hefty seed round investment or series a investment in 2019 was it always to to get to that point yeah i think so like we always kind of saw ourselves going on that sort of classic like startup journey so because hubble was also founded out of uh, an accelerator so this accelerator called entrepreneur first and i think yeah we we're always kind of geared to go on that kind of seed round series a series b sort of journey and that was also the, like the kind of goals for my co-friend and i like like ultimately we wanted to build a startup and a, a growing business and um to do that you need you need capital so tom can you just take us back to maybe the start so yeah let, let's go back to when you're in university and mm-hmm. you know did you have the idea there did you see how did you see the gap in the markets for obviously what has become a very successful business yeah yeah no, Christian. so 
We both joined Entrepreneur First with like no idea and also not knowing each other. So this kind of program, the whole idea at the time anyway, was that you kind of like put a bunch of sort of quote unquote smart people in a room and see what happens over like a period of time. And I think so. And while we were there, so my co-founder came with this sort of um, like nugget of an idea, which was he'd seen in his time in banking that um, there's a bunch of underutilized space. And um, some of his clients were asking him like what to do with that. And also at the time, kind of there was this like growth of like Airbnb and all those things sort of like subletting essentially. So combined with that, while we were on the program, we were talking to a lot of startups and you kind of, you could get on the phone with a startup, talk to them about their like office space journey. And they just moan at you for like 30 minutes, basically about like how bad finding an office was. So it was kind of these like combination of like three different things were all kind of swirling around and it's what led us to originally start Hubble as so we originally like a marketplace for office space and even before that kind of an Airbnb for office space so we purely focused on on subletting excess office space or end of lease office space and that sort of thing and then over time that evolved and pivoted first into kind of the generic like marketplace for office space because we just found that the offices found it uh, the startups found it difficult regardless of whether it was a sublet or not this was also at a time where like there was we work didn't exist so like we kind of started maybe when there was like one we work in new york and kind of the and then that's obviously grown massively and then in more recent times we've like pivoted a bit more into this hybrid workplace platform as the kind of like world of work has like really changed over this last year and so. Right. I read online that that Hubble is sort of a, a cross between a bookings.com and a WeWork scenario, right? So presumably you guys are unique in the marketplace uh, or uniquely positioned. Do you guys have any sort of competition in the space? So I think there are, so there are different competitors in different parts. So there's quite a lot of traditional office space agents who do the kind of yeah, the more traditional kind of go to them, find me an office, they'll kind of search the market and match you up. And um, so there's a lot of competition like that on the kind of pure office space finding side. And a lot of them have a website. And although I'd argue that our like product is better and we're more like product first and tech first, and that's kind of where we started. And there's also some competition in the kind of the sort of the co-working day pass kind of area as well. But like at the moment, partly because like this, the market's changing so much, there's not a huge amount of companies doing this real mix and hybrid of, of kind of all three of those areas to kind of support that, that hybrid working that is kind of happening now where some companies have decided to come fully back to the office. Some people have decided to go fully remote. Others are doing the mix and hybrid of both. So yeah, I, I think we're pretty unique in that. Brilliant. And sorry, Holly, I just have one question that I'd like to dig into is to your opinion on where the workplace is going to land when all of this uh, chaos settles that we're currently dealing with, right? So there's a lot of talk around the data is not yet in on whether remote working is going to be the the panacea, right? So I'm keen to hear your opinion. Yeah, I mean, so what is my opinion? Um, <laughs> so I think my my opinion is that we're going to see or we are seeing this kind of this transition to more remote first ways of working where the office plays a different part in how you see working happen so the office i think becomes this place where you can you use it for meeting up maybe for more like brainstorming exercises creative exercises things where that aren't currently like replicated on like zoom or whatever at the same level of quality and actually that's 
but your kind of day-to-day -day working is like remote first so you're kind of you're using remote first tools and you might be dialing into a meeting with the other person like down the hall from you as opposed to like meeting in the office because you've got half the rest of the meeting is kind of sporadic around the world so i think that like that is probably where where ultimately we're trending towards but the kind of the, the caveat to that is that i think that there's been this like shock to to a lot of companies to go remote first and actually what a lot of interpreted that as is kind of well we've got zoom and we've got our like project management board and it's okay to like work remotely that's easy to do whereas actually like you've got to change a lot of your processes and communication styles to really make it work like effectively so i think there's still going to be a bit of time and transition before a lot of companies like make that work right and and some will just will, will get it wrong and either kind of just go back into the office because it's simpler or um or they'll figure it out yeah i like that i like that so your 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 office effectively becomes a social and culture hub as opposed to a place of uh, the traditional work environment yeah yeah, I think so. And also to, to an extent, again, in this way, like, I think we've been being big on the hybrid thing is that like every person in the team, in a team generally, has a different circumstance. So if you're living in a one bed flat in the center of the city and the office is kind of like down the road or whatever, and it's much more comfortable to kind of go into the office and work there than it is in your kind of like one bed flat where you've got your kitchen next to you and you're bedroom behind you and all that sort of thing it's just it's just a much better environment whereas others in my case two toddlers biting my ankles <laughs> yeah and, and the toddlers and kids thing is a good example too because it's like in some cases it's like if you want to do a bit of focus work it might be better to go into the office but also in going to the office like every day seven days or five days a week like you're you're kind of not probably not seeing your kids as much as you are if you're working from home and you can kind of be a bit more flexible with with all of that if one's ill and that sort of thing so yeah i think it's it's that flexibility and, and ability to choose as a team member within a company, I think, is like paramount. We share the same philosophy pretty much that you're sharing there is that I think pre-COVID, Guy, correct me if I'm wrong, we were already somewhat offering remote as a company that's kind of stretched. We have people in Johannesburg and London and sometimes, you know, they're often working on the same teams in Australia now too. So we all already had that kind of yep. ability to work remote. Obviously, you know, it was at scale all of a sudden. But exactly what you were saying there, Tom, it's a, a social hub, but you often are in calls like Guy and myself are in opposite rooms right now, but we're in the same yeah. building type of thing. No, so it's great to know that we're, uh, we, we would regard you as somewhat maybe of an expert in that space and keeping up for the trend. So it's, it's nice to know that we're thinking along the same lines as someone <laughs> who's literally started a company that focuses on this. But to take it back to Hubble and the Series A that, that Guy mentioned. We haven't really spoken to too many people in the product startup space. So it's super interesting to us. And it's obviously being, you know, kind of client facing ourselves. It's not an area that we have a ton of experience while we are, you know, figuring it all out as we go. What was the Series A like? At what point do you raise your hand and go, okay, guys, I think it's time for a Series A. And what is the actual like trajectory to uh, achieving that? And break it down for us, you know, simple folk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got to rewind my my mind back a little bit. I think like yeah, time moves like so quickly that I forget stuff so easily. But I think that we we found that one of the triggers for for us raising the Series A was that we were just finding a certain level of product market fit in our kind of core element of our business. So like when we like I said when we first started, we were very much like startup sublet focused and that went only so far but then as we grew we were kind of becoming more gen general office space focused we had more of a platform more of a product more of an idea of the flows through the product but we were still very 
like startup centric all our, our like marketing and customer base were kind of small like two to ten person companies or something like that with a kind of few sporadic like larger ones here and there but i think that we were seeing the proof points that actually we've got great adoption in this segment and we want we think we can grow this more and we've got good metrics for like month on month growth and all of that and it kind of led us to kind of uh, to to think about the series a with the kind of goal of pursuing essentially like a bigger customer segment and to to grow our business and product even more um through to like larger companies because especially also through some of the proof points of we were seeing the like ibms of the world moving into a we work in new york and it was like those sort of like little anecdotal bits of evidence which shows actually like flexible working and all of this industry that we're in is is pretty mainstream or becoming mainstream now so i think that was like kind of one of the deciding factors and, and one of the things that we raised our a on as well as on our product side we had lots of ambitions to further like cement our like marketplace a bunch of features that we that we knew we needed or a bunch of host uh, like supply side tooling and things that just made our platform a lot stickier and a lot more easy to use and all that sort of thing so yeah kind of mix of that and then the kind of process from there is basically just lots of meetings <laughs> build a deck have lots of meetings it's kind of raising money is a game of they say it's a game of lines not dots so the best thing to do is to kind of build just good relationships with investors over time and slowly tell your story don't see it as kind of like one pitch meeting and then talk to them again in a year's time kind of like have coffees build up that relationship get their advice on things and slowly like a couple will will start to be more passionate essentially about you and your business and then eventually they'll they'll probably be the ones that, that choose to invest Right, right. I was going to ask you, sort of, how do you decide which investors to approach, or do you just put your hand up and go, right, anybody interested? And and how does that process work? Just for those listening. Yeah, yeah. No, so you definitely like we definitely had a kind of a, a rough priority list of the kind of people that we thought would be interested in this. So people, for example, for us, it would have been people with past prop tech investments or past marketplace investments, past B two B investments. They were probably our three main kind of like sectors from an investor point of view, and we would like probably approach that we would be approaching those with slightly more priority than the kind of rest but then of course there are funds and investors that do a lot more like general stuff and we wouldn't sort of say no to a meeting generally um because obviously you don't know where where everyone's connected and generally speaking so you don't know where like one meeting might be a no for for one and and but they might know somebody or say something to somebody else over dinner and it becomes a yes to, to some for somebody else so yeah, it's kind of a, a mix with a rough priority. And how did those first couple of pitches go? How stressed were you? Scale of one to 48. <laughs> I think those ones weren't, this kind of our Series A ones, I didn't feel as stressed. I'm trying to think about the process a little bit more because there's also the other dynamic which I haven't mentioned, which is that with my co-founder and I, as he's CEO and I'm CTO, we have like we kind of have different, slightly different roles in the fundraising process and whereas my role is probably a little bit more so I'll, I'll probably be taking more of the kind of yet yeah, product and technology focus of a pitch and i might not be in the earliest of coffees and conversations because he's kind of developing those relationships i'll tend to be in the kind of more like closing ones if that makes sense mm-hmm. and so so i think that that meant like for me it meant that a lot of the conversations that i was having were on different grounding so i was already kind of talking to an audience that kind of had slightly bought in if that makes sense so 
whereas he'd be having the conversations where they'd say no at the end. <laughs> um, so it was definitely a different experience for the two of us. Um, the first time we fundraised kind of our seed round, that was like, uh, that was like uh, both doing it in tandem and that was very nervous, uh, nerve wracking because yeah, I would have been like 20, like two or 23 at the time or something and um, straight out of uni with like no experience and whereas the, and I'm trying to like ask for like half a million quid and it's like that's, yeah, it just felt a bit kind of surreal. But yeah, at the end of the day, you've got to kind of back yourself and and kind of muster up as much confidence as you can and be okay, be ha- like fine and okay making mistakes and, and also be fine with people saying no and not buying in because it doesn't mean that like you've got a bad idea or it doesn't mean that you kind of you're bad people. It's just like, it's just not for somebody, you know? Well, that's amazing. I think that's that's such good advice. And, and yeah, Tom, I'm glad that you spoke a little bit about your CTO role because this is the Agile, you know, CTO podcast. And... For all intents and purposes, he doesn't say it, but Guy is the the CTO of, of Hey Philly Software, technical director. And if we, I just want to find out, Tom, about what your day looked like. Because I look at Guy and, you know, he's just sitting down, yelling at people to get off his lawn, <laughs> complaining about everything the whole time. Is, is this normal or what was your experience as a CTO of a company? Okay. <laughs> it is our normal. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, the, the, the longer I've been CTO and the kind of more I've got involved in like different networks of CTOs and things it feels like every CTO role is like defined very differently like you kind of there's like for as an example there's like the external evangelist CTO who's doing all the events and the kind of talks and things and there's the more kind of like maybe internal like architectural like techie sort of focused ones and then a bit more people focused and yeah it's a real mix and I think to me a while to come to terms with like what what did I want to be as a CTO like what 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 was my version that I wanted and I think that my like interest is has always been more on the product side of of Hubble and or of of tech in general. Like I've always seen tech as a means to end in order to solve like customer problems and business problems and all that sort of thing, which then which meant that like my day as like a CTO was kind of a mix of maybe and also this is different across different stages of the company, but we'll get to that. Like maybe it's a mix of helping someone debug a problem to chatting with our architect about what the next, what the architecture of this next feature is to then talking about our product roadmap for the next quarter to yeah having one-on-ones with people to and just making sure people are all right to yeah fighting a fight like getting involved in the firefighting if the site firefighting if the site goes down or we realize we've got some security leak or something yeah a real kind of mix of and that's kind of why i liked it that every week is was, was could be completely different in that regard oh that's awesome so you mentioned you've you sort of stepped down from that CTO role within Hubble organization, right? What was the deciders for you to to realize that it, that it was time for you to make your exit from that role? Presumably, you're still actively as a founder on the the, the, the ownership. Yeah, so I've still got ownership sort of in the business, um, but I'm not sort of operationally active there anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that I just found that it's hard to rationalize because really I was just finding that I was becoming less motivated, less energized, um, less enjoying my role. And there's not very many like rational reasons for that. It was more just kind of, I was feeling that I wasn't doing my best, best work anymore. And it just felt like also, as I, as I thought about it and I'd done seven years that like, it was a good time for me to like, have a bit of a change, have a bit of a break. I wanted a new challenge. I'd, I'd become like really interested in, in property over the time and in solving problems for startups, but 
I'd be lying if I said at the start, like straight out of uni at the start of my journey that I was passionate about office space and property and all that sort of thing. I sort of, I was passionate about problem solving and about building a startup and this and helping startups. So I think that kind of was, was missing for me towards the end. And so, yeah, I think, and so it's funny because our current, like our current direction is this hybrid workplace platform is far more aligned to my own like personal personal kind of way i see the world of work going so like rationally i should be like right this is great i've been waiting for this and like now let's now let's go but actually yeah emotionally i was just like i was i was good with letting kind of my co-founder and the rest of the team like take that take that on its path and how do you think they took that news was it a shock or a surprise for them or for my co-founder like we we've like had a we had a pretty good well we have a pretty good relationship so we've been talking about kind of we talked pretty openly over time so it was not a shock when i kind of made the final find us in like yeah this is this is the end i think we kind of like you could see it happening over time and like we've been talking about like do i just need a break um and then come back or do i kind of need to call it quits or do i need to change my role do i not need to be a cto anymore do i want to be something else and so we kind of been quite open and discussed discussed it and i think that was that was the best thing because i think then when it did come around he just fully understood for the team it was a little different i think people who work closely with me kind of were a bit shocked but everyone understood i think everyone got it everyone had no, no, I put a put a shift in, so they were they were fine with that. And so uh, I wasn't in the conversation, um, but the other day, guy had a conversation with someone called Paul Dubois, and he spoke about burnouts, and that he kind of guy could probably describe it better. But he, the Paul was experiencing really bad burnout, and he kind of had no highs and no lows and that type of thing, and it really opened up the conversation because that's not something that I think people are often willing to speak about. Right? Is that people expect. You know, you're at a, a company that's growing and it's successful, but yet, and again, like you say, it doesn't make sense rationally. Like the motivation goes down, um, the the world to just continue pushing. So would you ex- say that you were experiencing some form of, of burnout and that you're, you know, that obviously everyone will have a unique way of, of approaching it and, and, you know, improving themselves and that the change was really the thing that you needed to kind of just get you back into the the track and the enjoyment again. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that would like summarize it pretty well. Like I think that I think it's hard it's hard to know when you're in it and also when it's hard to know because I think everyone's version of it is more or less severe, but I do feel like there's an, there's an element of burnout because I resonate with with a lot of that that kind of description of the sort of yeah, flattening of life. But that's not to say that I think some people get it far like worse than I do in terms of like terms of real kind of yeah apathy and real sort of lows but i think that yeah for me that i recognize that a little bit and also um, i think just as a person i'm the kind of person that likes to make big changes and quite like thoughtful but but big ones that kind of then set me on like a new trajectory my girlfriend always takes to Mickey that whenever I take up a new hobby, the first thing I do is buy the most expensive thing on that hobby. But that is why like that, that then like forces me to then, to then yeah. do it. Well, that's great. Yeah. I can relate. I can relate to that. It's almost like your passion. You can't just, you know, you can't just buy the thing and, and uh, check if you're going to like it by buying the mid range version of the thing. You just, you know, ball steep. Goes yeah. ball. Uh, Jamie, you can edit that part out. <laughs> Tom. So I'd hate to have been, you know, interviewing for your replacement because presumably you were involved. You're the founder, you're the ex CTO, you're hiring the replacement CTO. How were those interviews? And, and did you guys settle on a replacement for your, for your position? Yeah, no, we did. I think that, that it was, it was kind of, it was, 
we did it so that we actually reflected and felt that like because my role had changed like quite a lot over time and i was actually focusing much more on the product side towards the end of my journey like i was much more my role looked a lot more like a head of product by the end um and i think that that and at the same time we had a um really good engineering manager and a really good lead architect that were kind of like handling the engineering side of the, the people and kind of tech side of the engineering part of the business that it felt like from a from a hiring perspective our main kind of hole when when i left would, was going to be the head of product role so it meant that we weren't we didn't hire a direct kind of replacement for for me as a cto which was also good because like i am not a perfect head of product i'm a generalist and it was a really nice opportunity for the business to bring in somebody who had that like product experience in another in other companies who could really be kind of like a specialist in that role as opposed to the kind of more like tech product design generalist that i was so we we've spoken a bit about or quite a bit about hubble and kind of your your time there and your exit but i'd love to dive into more about what you're doing now you kind of glossed over at the start <laughs> you mentioned that, that that you're mentoring and you know mentoring has a, a lot of different meanings so what exactly do you mean by that what is your current situation yeah no good question so the my mentoring at the moment i'm basically working with a real mix of people so engineering leaders product leaders new engineering managers early stage founders early stage ctos so a real kind of like yeah mix of roles and kind of just doing one-on-one -on -one sessions with them every other week to work through their challenges really and help them focus on some of their goals so that could be anything from a longer term goal of i want to be more confident managing people and then kind of week by week we will we will take kind of elements of that to 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 achieve that to kind of more fire weekly firefighting so coming to a session and being like oh my product managers just hand in their notice i'm panicking what do i do and kind of yeah so doing a mix of sort of yeah those like short-term and long-term growth sessions right sort of like a cto counselor slash support group kind of setup yeah oh, that's really cool yeah and i think that like i always found like when i was CT when i was cto hubble i had a coach for for a while and he was a lot better than I am in terms of men, like in terms of what I do in mentoring, because like he was officially trained as a coach, and so he had. But he was also like an ex CTO, and that kind of like both like CTO and like coach, more like psychological, therapeutic kind of training, that really like helped me grow as an individual and helped me become a better CTO in the business. And I felt that kind of yeah, like past, I felt like I could help others with that. Not maybe not through the official kind of like yeah coaching, but through mentoring a bit more like professionally focused and some kind of more like personal stuff as well. And these CTOs that you mentor, are they typically startup CTOs slash founders of small small companies that have just started up or are they multi-million dollar company CTOs that may be missing a trick in their toolbox? <laughs> I think at the moment, I'm mostly focusing on the kind of smaller end. Like I think my, because I, I feel comfortable in the in sort of scaling of a company from like one to 50 people sort of range so and whatever like journey that you're on through that because i think you go through a lot of stuff from from yeah coding the initial platform to kind of figuring out how to hire people to then figuring out how to manage managers to all of that stuff and i think that i feel fairly comfortable like advising and mentoring on all that stuff so that seems to be where where i'm mainly focused when it comes to like founders and ctos but then on the for a couple of the, like the engineering managers or product managers they can be in slightly larger companies but it might be it might be their so excuse me their first step into people management and so they might be struggling with figuring out like what it is they should be asking their people and what it is they should be caring about what makes a good one-on-one -on -one, all that sort of thing which 
um, I've been helping them with. Interesting. Holly, just before you jump in there, what makes a good one-on-one? <laughs> um, oh, God, I really set myself up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that a good one-on-one, I suppose there's a few factors. There's, would barely ever talk about practical work like projects or anything like that. So it's all more emotional and growth focused um, for the individual. And it will seep into kind of like project work to a degree and day-to-day work. Cause it's hard, not just hard to avoid that completely because it's such a factor. But I think my goal with a one-on-one is really, are you kind of, are you happy? Do you feel productive? Are you working towards your long-term goals? Is there anything we, we can be doing better as a, as a business for you as an individual? Is there anything you're particularly struggling with that we can work through now? Um, do you have any feedback for me as a manager? Yeah, some of those are the kind of things I tr- try to work through in a one-on-one. Okay, cool. awesome. And look, I've been waiting to ask this question because uh, <laughs> yeah, for context, I'm 25, so there's still time for me. Guys in the, the next Forbes category. Nah. But the Forbes, the Forbes 30 under 30, I have to ask, how did that how does that come about? How does one apply? <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not a good person to ask. Because <laughs> my experience of it was kind of weird in that I can't remember how it came about, but um, my co friend and I basically got like uh, an email or a or a text from one of our like advisors or a friend of the business i can't actually remember who basically like being you need to apply the deadlines in in at midnight which was in like 30 minutes it was like 11 30 p.m and like filling the application and we're like okay so like i rolled out of bed filled in filled in the form like rushed it through went back to sleep never really like thought much about it and then yeah a few like kind of like months or something later we got like nominated so I don't know how it's meant to work, <laughs> but maybe um, I think there there is a there is a form and things to fill in, and you just kind of like yeah, uh, do that. Everyone else that applied in the 2019 UK region hates you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. It's funny. I I, I feel weird about the four percent thirty under thirty like award. Like I am really like proud of that, and I felt like mm. that was probably of the awards that I won personally. One of the ones that I feel like yeah like happy to shout about and happy to do but i also there's a small side of me that's a massive like cynic to do with like any like startup awards in general sure and i've always been a bit of a bit of a cynic so i'm really like, i really like have this like internal battle in my mind of like oh i i kind of like want to shout about this but also oh it kind of means nothing so it's like yeah. uh and yeah and it's, there's it's, ever something to be hypocritical about i mean in, in our industry that's that's pretty much it that you can like i'm sure I, i'm completely on board that i'd be like oh you know it, it, it really you don't do it for recognition but then you get the recognition you're like i did i did good yeah <laughs> exactly I also don't know how long I'm allowed to say Forbes Day under 34. Like, it's like, how many years after am I still allowed to be Forbes Day under 30? Yeah, you, just, like, you just tack on the year in brackets at the end. You can yeah. use it forever. Just ride that train well into your 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I was going to say, if for anything, it's definitely valuable from a personal marketing perspective. And it's definitely mm-hmm. impressive on, on any sort of resume or a job application. If Not that that's in your cards for if, in the future. But very cool. Congratulations. Forbes Day under 30 is... is not easy from what I've heard. Well, it is easy from what I've heard today. <laughs> not easy in general from what I've heard in the past. But I'm sure you you deserve it and and really well done. Can we chat about 
seed camp a little bit as a business what is it that they do so they they say you know they look after founders first right and and mm-hmm. i'm keen to hear what their model is and and how that works so and and how you fit into the the puzzle yeah sure so I might butcher a little bit the seed camp model, but my understanding of it is that so they actually so they invested in us in our first um, round of funding, I believe, and they kind of uh, invest in startups like I think in two main ways. One is like through that, which is kind of more traditional. You go and pitch, you sort of get to know them, and they decide where they want to. Or they also have a an accelerator program kind of investment style where they probably might go in a little bit early stage and they're a bit more hands-on with with the kind of support they provide and but regardless of which way you kind of enter it they provide this support system and network for startups um, be it either through peer-to-peer support through the other people that they've invested in or through mentoring sessions workshopping sessions um, uh, software discounts investor networks advisor expertise all of that thing that just provides basically more support for you as a uh, as a founder um and i've recently joined them as a as a kind of advisor men- or mentor i think to basically just be one of those kind of like network of mentors within seed camp the other startups who've been invested in that can kind of talk to me and call my expertise from and have a one-on-one session yeah oh that's awesome uh, it's it's it must be pretty stressful for young typically young people new startups founder cto that would I could see how 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 valuable that sort of role that you play would be in their journey. Yeah, that's really cool. No, it's fun. It's it's, it's it is quite it is really enjoyable. And that's one of the other benefits of I, I've I've found actually doing some of this mentoring and either through Seedcamp or directly is that it's been quite like it's been nice to like talk to these like early stage founders and help them on their journey and see like see some of the issues that I've been through in the past and are very, very, and helping them understand it. it's very normal and it's, and it's, you can overcome it and it's achievable. And it's also that often there's no right answer. They might be coming to me for the answer, but actually there's no, there's often no right answer to the kind of directional problems they have. It's just more about the kind of like problem solving and, and going with their gut and believing in it. So, so some of the people that you're working with must be, you know, the, you're solving quite specific problems, but what would be your blanket term of advice that you would give? Maybe if you think back to yourself when you're 2021 20, and you're starting out or, you know, the, the, the CTO today is at a startup and it's just getting started. What is the, the best sentence that you could throw at them that would provide the most value? Oh, wow. That would be the best sentence. Guy and I like to keep track of how many times we stumble the guests. <laughs> every time you go that's a good question i just make a little tick next to my just name tally on that one yeah. i'm up like 21 to 3 <laughs> <laughs> there there are probably few, I, i'm probably more th- i'm thinking about what i wish i'd known when i started i suppose rather than kind of yeah and what i wish i'd been told i think for me because i was so young coming out of union and and starting a business that that a lot of times I think I was searching for validation that we were on the right path and we were doing the right thing. And I think that, and what you find over time is that you'll talk to kind of many different investors, many different advisors about your business and all that sort of thing. And unfortunately everyone has a different opinion about what you should do or, or, and I think that that, if you're not careful, that kind of tears you apart a little bit and creates more like confusion. And I think what I wish I'd, I'd learned is that kind of is, 
although everyone can have opinions and you and you should absorb that to a degree you should just have your conviction and be fairly confident in that conviction um at the end of the day you're either going to be kind of gloriously right and raise loads of money or you're going to be wrong but hopefully you can do it quickly and figure out what the next right path is and i think that was one thing that i wish i would known and i would tell tell others is is to kind of yeah stick by your conviction just make a make the decision and go with it rather than seeking a huge amount of of advice which kind of goes against me being a mentor by the way but like that's okay like that's kind of i caveat all of my advice with this is just my opinion just do it (laughs) amazing yeah i like that i like that and uh, the realization that i've come to is nobody ever knows what the hell they're doing right we're all stumbling around in the dark and hopefully we hit something valuable along the way a hundred percent i think i find that a lot in us in younger founders is that they kind of have these questions about uh, like difficulties with hiring people like older than them or something like that or leading a team and things like that and i think if you just come to the realization that nobody knows what they're doing and you can start everything with the and if you go into everything with this like beginner's mind of of trying to learn from first principles and basically just being an expert learning as fast as you can then for the most part, there's not a lot of things that are going to trip you up. Yeah. And maybe we can talk about the technology a little bit that was involved in your your, your early platform at Hubble. I know we've, mm-hmm. we've we've touched on Hubble, but I don't think we spoke about the tech at all. I'm interested to know what the, what the platform looked like from a technology perspective. You don't have to go into too much detail, but just interesting to know, like, what is the language? What is the, the, the technology stack that you were building on? That sort of thing. And why, and why those decisions? Yeah, sure. So originally the platform was a like daydot was a django monolith and the main reason for that was because i knew how to build a django monolith and so i didn't want to kind of learn naturally yeah yeah (laughs) new technology and then we brought in a couple more more people and over time that felt like that was a well at the time it felt like that was a wrong call and we needed a um, i think it's probably because it was trendy we needed a kind of front front end app and so we kind of we re-architected to have an angular app on the front end um a and still the kind of django monolith and then over time we split the django monolith into a microservice architecture where it was mostly written in node or django and then eventually of course uh google stopped supporting angular slash actually it was more like they rewrote angular one into angular two mm-hmm. and made it really difficult to to any for anyone to migrate so that pulled point, the rug out of everybody yeah. So you originally so, wrote it in Angular JS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So oh, then my apologies. Went, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was also that was also the reaction that we would get from most people. And so I think it, we got to a point basically, and I think this is where maybe like technical decisions have like some consequences. Like we got to a point as a dev team, maybe we're like four or five engineers at this point, where yeah, we had this choice to make about kind of uh do we go to Angular two or do we uh go to React basically or do something different. And those choices of like Angular 2 or React were like pretty much the same, but there was so much kind of, yeah, my apologies surrounding kind of Angular that that it felt like from a kind of hiring perspective and a tech culture perspective and like building in a language that other engineers like want to work in or building in a framework that other engineers want to work in, that React was just the kind of, was, was the play for us. And we were lucky to be in a, building a company, building software that is pretty like, language agnostic we didn't need anything from python we didn't need anything from any particular language that, that was specific we just needed kind of 
a tool for the job that could hire that we could hire engineers in easily and we could build stuff quickly so yeah so we eventually made the, made the decision to kind of yeah migrate from angular to to react and that was a kind of slow process but i was quite proud of the, the way we did that like over time without doing a, one of those big bang jobs you made the right choice yeah I'm not meant. I'm not meant to have a favorite because I'm meant to stay up to date with all of them. But uh, I have a clear favorite, and it's definitely, definitely React. And uh, hosting, in terms of, did you ever go with a particular cloud provider or something like that? How were you going about hosting the application? So we used Heroku from day one. Okay. Yeah, and I think actually, like, I don't know how like rare that is. I don't hear a lot of many people like using Heroku. But again, it was what I knew from sort of day one which is why we decided to go into i'd done a couple of projects like at uni and used heroku to kind of spin something up interesting okay. and we actually found that like over time it scaled like really well for us it took a bunch of devops work out of mm-hmm. our out of our like processes that meant that we'd never had to hire anyone to do devops and we had some issues now and again but for the most part it meant that like we didn't go down the aws route or anything like that right and uh, are you still coding are you still doing something technical in in the background? I am now, so that's that's what like the majority of my week when I'm not doing sort of the mentoring consulting is is that part of my life which is trying to figure out what I want to build next and and the way I'm doing that right now is kind of falling down rabbit holes of research, restarting coding, doing little side projects here and there, yeah, just kind of being creative again because yeah, you kind of as a CTO, the bigger the company gets, the far less coding that that you end up doing and I, I i did miss it towards the end i think i i want a balance of doing a bit of coding and, and some of the more kind of strategic management mm. stuff as i through like what i do next it comes back quickly like i think that's the thing is i don't feel like i'm learning as a complete beginner again i'm kind of it's all coming back quite quickly but i do get frustrated sometimes at how slow i am compared to like how maybe fast i used to be and what rabbit hole are you climbing out of at the moment Oh God, I'm climbing out of a, a oh, I'm still in like a blockchain crypto rabbit hole at the moment. So I'm, I'm trying to do as an, I'm trying to do a little like crypto blockchain, like side project. So trying to figure out how to build a, like a web 3.0 connected landing page and how to like create my own smart contract and yeah, do all that basically. Right. Right. Holly, you've got some experience in this, right? Yeah, we're currently working with a client where we're doing uh, all of those things. So it's been, <laughs> it's had its challenges, but it's a really fun area to to be messing around with. Yeah. So it leads into my next question, which feel free to not answer because we had this with with a previous guest, Rasheen Parks, who at the time she was similar to yourself. She was an ex CTO or not ex, but she was in between, let's say, and she was CTO at Gumtree and at eBay. And we asked her, you know, what what's next? She said, oh, I'm still figuring it out similar answer to you she's having six point <laughs> options and then we hear like two days later that she's director of engineering at google um, wow so i don't think you're holding back from us in the same in the same way but i must ask are you wanting if you have figured it out are you wanting to go back into the product space is that you've mentioned product quite a bit and that was the thing that, that drove you are you wanting to start something fresh are you looking to hop onto an existing startup that's needing your kind of skill sets? Yeah, I. So I'm definitely not going to be joining Google in two days' time. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's Facebook. Oh, it's but <laughs> no. So I think my 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 goal, my current thinking is that I do want to start start a new company, start a new product, but I don't know in what, and I don't know like that could be in blockchain, it could be in something completely different. I might get lost in another rabbit hole next week. Like genuinely, that that could that could happen. But I think that 
it would be really nice to go around again considering all the stuff that i've learned from this like first journey and to use some of those learnings and no doubt i'm going to make like different mistakes but it'd be i'm hoping that it will be kind of slightly easier second time around yeah so that's the kind of that is the goal i wouldn't by no means would i ever rule out like say categorically no i wouldn't join join another company or something like that but i think like i would need to be really passionate about about the the problem that they're working on about the space they're working in and also like really believe in the in the founders and the culture of the business i think like i'd be especially picky over like all those areas before kind of joining something oh, that's awesome tom let's let's ask a question we ask a lot of our guests right so you you're what's your most recent your most recent win your most recent big accomplishment uh, that you can think of oh god what's my most recent win it's a small win but going back to the kind of the programming side of things i'm like it was i i got i got a lot of joy out of like building a the other day i got a lot of joy out of building a cloudflare worker that pinned a file to ipfs and like returned this hash that i could then use to sign a transaction through metamask on a front end page i was like like it was it doesn't really do anything but it was just like yeah it was a it was nice because i learned a complete i was learn, like i was learning a completely new like kind of sphere of like technology and had got it working end to end and it was it was gratifying that like ah oh, i i can i'm able to build stuff again like that was that was nice after it being so long since i actually got my hands today so it's it's yeah. tinkering right it's yeah so many people get in this industry because they start tinkering and not you know self-taught in some capacity and then whether they continue to be self-taught or from that tinkering they go they go and study at a university or at a college or something and then you you get to your job where you end up stop the tinkering and you know you're just having to deliver on things that you that you that you're told to and that's where regardless of what you're building it can be some crazy thing like you built you know a, a ridiculously successful company but then you go home and you tinker on something that doesn't do anything, doesn't mean anything, and that turns out to be way more enjoyable. I think that's the, like the lost art. It, developers need to keep tinkering. As soon as you stop, you're you know you're you're just sucking out, but like the potential like life. If if you're just delivering features all day and only using your skills for that, you're you're not making the most of it. You're not having fun. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with that. Especially because I think that I have this tendency of trying to turn like everything I do into a business. I have this tendency of like whether it's a hobby or anything that's like I take up sourdough baking and suddenly I want to open a bakery. And like, <laughs> like stop stop turning everything into like a business. Like like enjoy the tinkering and the process. And I think that maybe something will come, but like don't let that be the end goal. Yeah, uh, creative problem solvers, man. That's what that's what developers are. Technical people, right? So, and and there's that itch that needs to be scratched and for me recently it's been in in a hello world project in kubernetes where it's like okay cool i managed to deploy something into a cluster this is super intriguing and, and fascinating for me and i was really proud of that moment but uh i hear you it's it resonates really well holly should i steal your question you want to go yeah so i would like to you know we always say that i'm the yin to guys yang um and he's asked the positive what was what was a recent win what was a recent fire that you've had to put out? And, you know, maybe if you, even if not even recently, if you think back to Hubble, maybe what was one of your, uh, your biggest technical challenges that you guys had to face and overcome or something like that? Good question. I mean, for Hubble, I'm like, it was quite a big fire, but it would have been the, it would have been the, the pandemic as like, we didn't, we, we touched on it a little bit, but as you can imagine the kind of, yeah, 
office space industry wasn't great during the pandemic as everyone worked from home and, um, and it was probably even worse for others as well but it meant that we kind of we at the we had to let go like half our team and and that was kind of yeah a really like sad moment and because it was through it was one of those things through no fault of anyone's own it was just kind of yeah the markets disappeared overnight so that was really tough but the kind of yeah putting the the, the bright side of that and the kind of the way we solved that fire i think i was really inspired by the kind of the creativity of the team and the the ability for us to pivot and to try something new and to learn both from kind of our mistakes of the past and then also look at where the market's going and make a bet like gamble a little bit over like right let's get let's bet on this like hybrid and let's bet that no one's rather than kind of being that office based company who is the one screaming come back to the office come back to the office come back to the office it's like actually no like this is not realistic let's make a bet that like people aren't going to want to come back after this so yeah that was a that was a tough fire and one that i was like really happy with how we how we handled it brilliant and tom given given a few brain cells at the end of the day what what is your hobby what is your passion what is the thing outside of work and the million businesses you want to start based on the side projects you've got going <laughs> is that your hobby is that your passion or is there something else that you're into yeah so i think my i got a f- yeah a few hobbies like i enjoy reading enjoy i do enjoy baking sourdough bread <laughs> that was that was only half a joke i enjoy bouldering um so that's like kind of my exercise um and I, i'm a big gamer as well so like i play a lot of world of warcraft that's uh, been i've played that since i was uh like what like 16 years old or something and still going now like yeah i've played that f- are you playing vanilla or are you uh following all the updates uh, a bit of both yeah okay. it's oh, i once i once said in an investor meeting because this was like in the early days of of hubble in our first investor meetings kind of they were asking about management and all that sort of thing and i think i, I said in the investor meeting that something along the lines of i was like it was like i wasn't too worried about it because i at the time like because when i was like 16 i was like leading a like a a group of like 40 people in world of warcraft of like different ages (laughs) um to like defeat this like boss and it like went down like a lead balloon um i I, I, I had no idea what i was talking about um but i still still to this day i I think that like world of warcraft taught me some like key management skills hold on just to just to clarify so you're in an investor meeting and they're you know worried about a couple of things Uh, and you go don't worry guys i did this rage (laughs) eight years ago with like 40 people i got this yeah yeah basically it's amazing yeah my co-founder looked at me like i had like five heads like what are you doing like any any parents out there that are listening and your kids are you know avid gamers uh encourage (laughs) that they could be future you know very successful ctos i love that that's gold that's gold (laughs) that needs to be the the snippet for this episode (laughs) play world of warcraft it helps we got it and uh, yeah tom we don't want to keep you too much longer we know you got a a lot of tinkering and mentoring to do so we we like to wrap up with what we call the quick fire round which is really just five questions and yeah don't don't overthink it don't think about it too much Uh, so i'll start it start us off it's great you already mentioned that you're a reader so what is your latest must read my latest must read is a non-work book is that okay yeah yeah go for it absolutely so I just read a book called The Spy and the Traitor, which I think was going around some of the like reading lists off of like Bill Gates's reading list and stuff like that. Okay. But it is a it is a, a fantastic like spy thriller, but it's all true. It's like a true story, but it reads like oh. fiction. 
uh, I just I just found it like absolutely like fascinating. It was my it was Spider my like trailer. nighttime escapism. That was that brilliant. Book. Great. And currently, who's your most professionally influential person in your life? Professionally influential person, probably my probably my best friend Chris. I don't know if that's like a, a valid question, a valid answer. But and yeah, why? we um he we kind of like throw ideas back and forth to each other and talk about each other's business ideas. And I think it's good to have like someone like that who are kind of is on a similar similar st- similar kind of stage of a journey with you and can kind of be a both honest feedback and kind of but also give you like the motivation to keep going as well awesome so besides i'm going to take it off the table that you can't mention that you lean on world of warcraft for crazy (laughs) executive decisions but but those around you and those that you've worked with what what opinion do you think that that they've said they have of you that you find quite frustrating probably that i'm like they haven't said these probably that i'm apathetic because i basically in, in professional life and in personal life i'm very i'm a very relaxed laid-back person as a like as a manager and as a cto i've always been very relaxed and laid back and i think that it can sometimes come across as apathy and not caring or not motivated but actually i just kind of my style is uh yeah a lot more just sort of buddhist almost of just letting letting the problems kind of wash over and just carrying on and addressing them but not getting stressed about things so yeah that's probably that the one yeah i can see that 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 consistent personality trait coming through i can see that your that that mellowness about you that's really great and what is your most controversial opinion uh it's probably a bit flippant but um probably the experience is overrated that um i always i always thought like think there are times for it and like don't get me wrong it's valuable but i think a lot of times when you when you grow as a company and you hire like more and more important people that you start to put experience a lot higher in your kind of agenda of like tick box items on the cv and stuff like that but actually i think attitude and cultural fit is like far more important than how many years someone's been doing a job yeah couldn't agree more i love that oh, damn it's probably not that controversial then <laughs> or maybe maybe we just share a mindset yeah and and last question and again i'm going to take away the answer of uh, you can't say that like finding my next role what are you currently procrastinating over is it the bakery yeah. tell me it's the bakery <laughs> life can life be asked <laughs> um no uh what am i currently procrastinating over I've got a, a side project that I've been working that I worked on for a while on during lockdown, which I won't, get, won't go on for too long, but um, it's like a, a a climbing, a home climbing training product. Like it's a physical product. And I wanted okay. it because it was like kind of, I want to train, train at home while I can't go to the wall. And um, I also wanted to do something physical because sometimes doing like digital and tech so much, you kind of, you crave like actually building something. It's such a common trend. Your hands. Mm. We cannot yeah. tell you, sorry to disrupt, but like so many of our guests, when we ask what their thing is, it is something completely outside of tech or screens or anything like that. So don't worry, you're not yeah. alone. I go through yeah, swings so- of, of wanting to carve boats in Hawaii and coming back to my desk. You know, it's like it's, those are two polar opposites. I, I resonate as well. Yeah, no, it to- totally. And yeah, so I kind of had this idea, worked with a product company and got it to a point. But it's now at a point where, um, unfortunately, I just don't think there's a 
I'm not 100% sure there's a market for it. And also it's physical. What I learned was physical products are incredibly expensive <laughs> to build <laughs> compared to tech and I, and I don't have any skills to do it. So yeah, I'm currently procrastinating over what to do with that because right now it's just sort of sat on a shelf and that's what I need to figure out. Brilliant. And Tom, that brings us to the end of our recording today. And I just want to thank you for making the time and uh, where can our listeners find you online or otherwise? Sure. So they find me on Twitter. So I don't tweet much, but I'm trying to do more. So that's at Watson Tom 100 or on my website, productgarden.io. There's a little like newsletter subscribe thing there, which I don't send much out, but like occasionally if I'm going to be doing a new project or got any product thoughts, I'll send something around that. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Tom. And we would love to have you back, you know, once you've got your next uh, big thing, and then we can we can have you on while you're in the thick of it. And we'll get a different set of answers to the same questions. And I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd love to you guys really, really enjoyed it today. Yeah, Tom, thanks. It's been really great. I think this is one of uh, one of the most fantastic recordings we've done in a while. So thank you very much for your time and, and, and for being a guest on the show. At Hayfully Software, we build dev teams that deliver and fix those that don't. Dev teams fail to deliver all the time for countless reasons, from lack of skills to barriers and culture, from politics to process, from silos to egos. Whatever the reason, it's time they deliver. This is why we exist. From enterprise to startups, we craft high-performance dev teams focused on end-to-end -end delivery. Visit Hayfully Software at OutsourceHS.com to learn more. You've been listening to the Agile CTO. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time. <laughs>